Hello, everyone. Welcome to another weekly episode of Limitless Podcast, a place where we bring together global leaders in sales and marketing. My name is Sanjana, and I'm the host of Limitless Podcast. Today, we are speaking with Patricia, VP Sales at Postal.io. Hello, Patty. Welcome to Limitless. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining in today. Uh, I'm really excited about the conversation that we're going to have. Yeah, I am as well. This is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. That's true. Uh, so the topic for today is uh, women in sales and tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, so more often when I watch, uh, you know, any cult sales movies, the main character is always a sales guy. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the qualities most people attribute to salespeople uh, are, you know, associated with these leading male roles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so not only do we need to change these uh, stereotypes, but we also need to recognize that many of the top performing salespeople are females. So uh, the qualities you need to close more sales are gender neutral and it all focuses on relationship building, right? It mm-hmm. doesn't focus on uh, gender, your gender. So it's not a man versus woman thing, but rather uh, whoever is better at building genuine rapport and delivering what the customer needs. Exactly. So, so Mm -hmm. Patty is here to shed light on female leadership, uh, challenges that women face in a leadership role, uh, gender equality, her experiences, and so much more. So I'm sure this session is going to be thoroughly insightful. Excited to host you on our podcast today, Patty. Oh, thank you. Uh, Okay, so before we begin, uh, I'm really interested in uh, digging into some of your background and what led you to be in the position that you are today. Oh man, I have a very diverse background. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I actually grew up in an, in an agricultural family. Um, mm-hmm. I, when I grew up, my dad was a, was a farmer. So I knew agriculture as a child. Uh, I went to college uh, in, in California, University of California, Davis, which is a predominantly agricultural college. And I went there to study agricultural crop science. Okay. Um, it was in college that I learned that the ag business is a very difficult business, and it's not always one that comes with a consistent paycheck. And that yeah. is when I made a pretty conscientious shift. Um, I ended up changing my degree to, mm-hmm. uh, to managerial economics, and that was kind of like my first shift into what would soon become a career in sales. Right. I, uh, I ended up graduating school, and I sold wine for a bit. I sold wine because it was like this perfect blend of agriculture and sales. And that, like, that is where I learned I loved sales. Um, Now I, I ended up leaving that because I'll be perfectly honest. I was probably better at drinking the wine than selling (laughs) the wine. (laughs) But um, at the same time I was, I was living in central California and all of my friends were moving to Silicon Valley. And at the time they were all joining, and I'm going to put quotes around this tech companies. Now remember like my background wasn't really in technology. So I had no idea what tech really meant. Okay. So, so I followed my friends and I moved to the Bay area. And when I was in the Bay area, I just started applying for jobs like any like young 20 something year old uh, who has no idea what she's doing, but I knew I could sell. Like I knew I knew sales fundamentals and and in wine sales, it's like wildly relationship oriented. Mm -hmm. Um, It's who, you know, it's how you present yourself. The reality is, is yes, there is bad wine, but wine is wine. 
It's all about the presence and the, the feeling that you get when you drink it. Um, and so I ended up joining a, a company that sold hardware because that's what I thought my friends met when they said tech. Now at the time, this is when SaaS was booming, but I didn't know what SaaS was. So I sold hardware for a while, then figured out that all my friends were working for software companies. And I finally made a shift into a company called Rike, which is a project management software. At the time, they were very small. There were four people in the U.S., and I think there were about 15 or so people in their St. Petersburg, Russia office. Um, and I think that that position, while I can say that the, the wine job and the hardware job taught me how to sell, um, the wine job taught me about relationships. The hardware job taught me about grit and determination and the mindset that you have to have as a salesperson, like you just can't give up. They, po they positioned me really well to join Rike at that time when they were really small. And at the time, they were a software company without funding. So mm -hmm. Silicon Valley, you don't always jump for a job at an unfunded software company. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the most reliable. Yeah. Um, but it all worked out. And, and at Rike, I had incredible opportunities to, to learn and to grow um, and eventually worked my way um, into leading their European efforts and eventually all of the international efforts, which is where I spent the past five years over in Dublin, Ireland. And then this, um, this past December, I moved back to California to join Postal IO, which is a direct mail and gifting automation platform. And we're, I'm excited to say that we're, I'm going to do it all over again. And I'm thrilled to be a part of that. That was interesting, Patty. Thank you for sharing your uh, career journey with us. Um, You're welcome. All right, so let me jump uh, straight into the questions that I want to ask you today. Uh, so my first question is, um, let's start with leadership, okay? So what, mm -hmm. does, what does leadership mean to you and what's your leadership style? That's a loaded question. Um, leadership to me means you need to listen. Like okay. listening, and we talk about this a lot in sales and I think leadership qualities can kind of come into deal process, but it means listening twice as much as you talk. As leaders, I think we often view ourselves as like, we're the commander in chief, we're meant to like command the troops. But I think so much of that job is actually just to sit back and listen to what the troops have to say. I mean, they're on the ground floor and they're gonna know more about your customers than you do. And I think it's just so important for leaders to remember that they've got two ears and one mouth. And I know that like parents say that to kids all the time, but I think that as leaders, we should probably remember that. I also think that there's, um, you talk a lot about like leading by example. And I think part of that is, you know, you've got to be willing to jump first and to do the hard work first. And with that comes owning your faults when you mis make a mistake. I think it's really empowering when a leader raises their hand and says, you know what, this didn't work because of me. I will own that mistake. This is why it didn't work. And this is what I'm going to do to fix it. Because that shows the entire team, like this is how you handle mistakes and this is how it doesn't destroy your career. So don't be afraid of mistakes, which I think is, is so pervasive within the entire sales culture, which is like, this terror of a mistake. Like mistakes are part of the building process. Right. And when leaders can show that they've made it, they've accepted it and they've moved past it, I think it's really, really powerful. Got it. So um, with, with a lot of women uh, still pushing to reach the top, they're faced with a range of challenges uh, that many of their uh, male counterparts don't have an understanding of. So what do you think is the most significant barrier to female leadership? 
the value to female leadership. I think, I think women offer a unique perspective on the world. I mean, if you, if you consider the story or the story of the woman, especially a working woman, and you think about the, you think about, for example, you brought up Hollywood in, earlier and how Hollywood, Hollywood portrays this, yeah. you know, agonistic bro male in a sales environment, you yeah. know, take all attitude. Yeah. And then you have women who've watched those films and, and, and seen that projected by society. And they've somehow worked their way into the position that they have today. They had to overcome a lot. Right. And part of what they had to overcome it may not be conscientious. It could be completely unconscious biases. Um, but that adds a lot of empathy to women who, who are in leadership. I mean, they understand that it's not always as easy as it seems. And I think that there are core relationship principles that the women learn very early on. And, and some of that, you know, is in, you can think nature versus nurture. Mm -hmm. But I think that the, the, the story of the woman and how we are raised can have a lot to do with how we, how we ultimately lead. And there's some incredible male leaders. I'm not saying that there's not. But I think there are certain values that women can certainly bring to the table um, that add certainly a dynamic to the conversation. I mean, the reality is, is that when we're selling, like 50% of the world, 50, roughly, I don't know the exact number, like roughly 50% of the world is female. So 50% of your prospects are female. Wouldn't right. you want to make sure that you had that person represented at your leadership table? Right. Got it. So speaking of values to female leadership, uh, what challenges did you encounter on your path to an executive role? And how did you persevere through these challenges? I, I've been very fortunate to have some incredible mentors mm -hmm. um, who have supported me uh, throughout my journey. I've, I will also say my parents did a wonderful job creating a very direct communicator. I've always been very direct in how I, what I want. Um, but one of the challenges that I can say I experienced early on, I always say, I'll, I'll talk about two of them, yeah. is it's really hard to do something that you don't see and your peers don't see. And what I mean by that is when I don't, when, when you don't see anybody else who's like you doing the role that you want, it's yeah. kind of daunting. It's like, well, can I do that? Yeah. Right. Like I think I can, but am I, am I supposed to do that? Or maybe there's like another role I'm supposed to be targeting. Like, why am I the only one that would be wanting that? Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to project yourself on a future role when you just don't see it. Mm -hmm. And, and the second thing that, that I think, and this is, this is something that I think every woman in tech and every, everyone anywhere is probably dealing with, which is unconscious biases. Um, if anybody tells you they're not a victim or they're not the culprit of unconscious biases, they're lying. Um, I'll tell you right now, we're all the culprit and we're all the victim. Um, but there's definitely been a handful of occasions where I can specifically pinpoint unconscious bias being something that I had to overcome because I was either bypassed for a promotion or it was given to someone else or for whatever reason, the way I said an idea didn't resonate, but the way my colleagues said it, even though it was the exact same idea two minutes later in a male voice did, there's things like that that happen all the time. And okay. that was something that really, really aided me early on. Um, it was something, you know, it's something I, that ate at me before I, before I knew anything about unconscious biases. 
And every time, you know, um, a male colleague, and I say male, I shouldn't really say male colleague, I pretty much for the most part have had male colleagues, uh, at least in sales positions, um, my colleagues, when they would speak over me, interrupt me, assume that I would take notes in a meeting. That's like my favorite. It's like we go to a meeting room and they just assume that the female's taking notes. And I, well, it, it's really funny because if you think about it, I'm sure, I'm sure you can probably think of a time where that's been yeah. you. Yeah. It's, <laughs> why is it always the female? Yeah. Um, and I used to take it really personally. Like they're doing this to me. Right. And, and I don't think there's any, and, and when I started to learn about unconscious biases, it, it helped me so much because I realized that it's not personal. Like for many, many men in the workplace, they, they love their sisters. They love their, their girlfriends. They love, you know, they think they're the most amazing human beings. They want them to accomplish everything, right. but there are these unconscious biases that they don't, you know, that they don't recognize that, that leak out into the workplace and, and, you know, negatively impact how women feel and how they, and how they, they move forward. Um, so once I started to learn about that, it actually made it, um, at least I can say, um, personally at Reich, it was an incredible thing for me. And I can also say that that became something that the HR team has grown into like this whole campaign where they talk about it quite frequently. Um, and it's, it's an open conversation in leadership about unconscious biases because you can't get rid of them. Like they're going to be there, but if you talk about them, they're really easy to identify within yourself so you can be more conscious about it. Got it. Got it. All right. So you, you brought up mentors in your previous answer. So let's talk about mentors for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, as a leader, especially, it's exciting to uh, go it alone and do something on your own. However, the reality is that uh, while you have a great idea, you may not know exactly what you should be doing at some point of time and you're just stuck. So I think here is where a mentor plays a good role. Uh, so can you, can you tell me about uh, female mentors? You have worked in technology sales and how you started those relationships and how they benefited you and your career. Yeah. So I, I'll be perfectly honest. I do not have I'm really racking my head. I don't, I don't have any female mentors. Okay. Um, in technology sales. Okay. I have been fortunate enough to have been to have found a handful of mentors who are, who are male in technology, who have been incredibly helpful and supportive of me. Um, but like I said earlier, when I was starting my career, I just, I didn't, there were no females. Um, and this is, you know, 10 years ago in Silicon Valley, and there were certainly powerful females in Silicon Valley, but there were none in my network. Right. Um, and especially cause I came from ag, which is like, a, <laughs> I was pivoting careers. So it was a little bit crazy. Um, but I think that, you know, so I've got, I've got mentors that came in two, two different ways. So first are the mentorships I think come in the like organic category. You organically just kind of develop a relationship. It can be a manager or a manager of a manager. Um, It can be someone in a different company that you maybe know someone and and you just kind of keep running in the same social circle. Um, And then you have the ones where you make a conscientious effort to reach out and say, hey, I know we maybe never met or maybe we've only met once, but like, I'd really like you to be my mentor. In the, in the case of the organic ones, it has to, at some point, be intentional. Um, and, and I think that that's a really important thing to know, because I think many people say like, oh yeah, I kind of have a mentor in my, you know, in this person that I, that I hang out with. But I think that 
in order to really see productive outcomes out of mentorship, I think that there needs to be that intentional conversation, which is like, I would like you to be my mentor. And I think they need to accept that responsibility and there needs to be clear guidelines. Um, It has to go both ways. Like it can't just be the mentor, the mentee asking, you know, for, for, you know, for answers all the time. It has to be an open dialogue. And, and I will say like, I've been super fortunate to have mentored a handful of people and I, I sometimes worry I get more out of it than they do because I find it so, I, I, I do. It's um, it, not only is it, you just end up with incredibly engaging conversations, but it helps me to be more aware of the people that are possibly, uh, that are on my team, the things that they may be possibly going through that they're not comfortable telling me. But these other people who are in similar shoes as they are in other companies, they're going through them. And it just, I think it helps me to be a better leader and in general, just a better person. Um, but I think that that conscientious, intentional conversation around like, do we want to have a mentorship relationship is really important. Whether it's cold outreach, which I've done one time and it was terrifying, <laughs> like it was terrifying. Um, but you'll be surprised, like it worked out well. Um, or if it's just an organic relationship that evolves. That's really nice. Uh- what, what, why do you feel that more women should explore careers in technology sales? Well, I, I will say this. I love technology and I love mm-hmm. sales. So I am very biased. I think it's an incredible career. I think that it, if you like problem solving, if you like, build, if you like building relationships, if you like working with people, because in technology sales, you cannot avoid people. Like that is your job. You yeah. are a you are a you are a puzzle builder with people. Yeah. Um, and if you like independence, I think technology sales is one of the most independent roles. Like you can own your business, you can own your pipeline, you can own your success. You also though have to be you have to own your failure. But if right. that empowers you, I think technology sales is an incredible career. Um, that said. I also think that if that, if you're thinking about that, you're like, that is not what, what I enjoy. I think that women should be empowered to do whatever, whatever it is that brings them joy, even if they don't see others doing it. Um, and it's not just, you know, because, you know, women don't see others doing it. It's also if their male colleagues don't see other people doing it, it's hard for them, obviously, to see it. And so I think it's important, you know, women should, should be empowered to do whatever they, what they wish, but I personally think technology sales between the relationship, the problem solving, and the people, like you can't get a better mix. And it, it, it's, it's been working for me so far. True, true, true that, yes. Uh, so next is an interesting question. Um, so how should women support other women in their organizations? That's a very good question. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think that the, I think the, the like, I think that this mean girl storyline has, has picked up a lot of traction in the world. Um, I, I've won because of, because of Hollywood, but I think that it's a little bit overblown. Um, that said, I think that women need to make a really conscious effort in the workplace to see their female counterparts as like their comrades. They are in it together. All of you guys are doing something that a minority of people have accomplished and use that to empower you. Use that to empower you to support each other. And I think that, and to, to raise them up, you know, I think that when you're sitting in a very real time experience, when you're sitting at your desk and every salesperson's had this moment, 
and you're staring at your pipeline and you're having that like, oh my goodness, I have no idea how I'm going to make this yeah. result to my quota. <laughs> when you're having that moment, very naturally, we tend to go to uh, a colleague that is in a leadership position. And nine times out of 10, that's going to be a man. Yeah. That's just, but in, in that moment of, oh my goodness, I need to hit quota and I've got a pipeline in front of me that is iffy at best. Is there a female on your team or in your organization that can offer you the same quality of insight, but maybe isn't in a leadership position? Okay. And leverage them first. And the reason that I say that is by asking for help, you actually empower an individual. Like just simply being asked to help somebody is really empowering. You're like, wow, you actually think I am, my opinion is valuable enough to share. And so I think that that's, that's, the, that's a very simple thing that we can do in our day to day. And I think in that same motion, when your female colleague gets a promotion or a raise, it's not about they got it and you didn't, it's that they got it. And they got it and they're proving that we as females can do more and we can do better and, and celebrate it like it's your own. Um, right. It's not about us versus them. It's like, we all just took a step forward because of what you accomplished. Right, I, I remember this quote uh, goes like this. If one woman alone has power with more women together, we have impact. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful quote to summarize that. Yeah. Also, you know what, Patty, uh, traditionally, we have been thought to be competitive with one another because uh, there was such a scarcity of jobs at the top. But now it's uh, so clear that it's not the case anymore. Uh, the truth is that raising each other up and channeling the power of collaboration is truly how we change the equation. Mm -hmm. Right? Absolutely. All right. Yeah. All right. So now the next question is from my personal experience. Uh, I'm struggling with this a lot. Uh, so the question is, uh, are there certain skills that have helped you see what your next step is and to make yourself known as someone who can perform the next level job? Ooh, skills that have helped you get to the next job. Yeah. How do you identify that? Yeah, I mean, I think that it really depends on what you want that next job to be. Mm -hmm. um, so... I can, let me talk about personal experience. Yeah. Um, I have always been a very direct communicator. Okay. Um, and that is not something that is comfortable for many, many people. It's really hard to say what you're feeling and, or to ask for what you want. But the, not necessarily the easiest way, but a very efficient way to figure out what skills you need to do the next job is to tell your leadership team that you want that job and you want to know what you need to do to get there and to make it very well known. Um, and I think that so often there are women who are bypassed for promotions because they may be mentioned casually in a one-on-one that they're interested in that job, they're interested in that promotion. Um, you know, just maybe let me know, let me know what, you know, I, I want to just throw my hat in the ring. It's very non-committal. We need to go and we need to go to our leadership and say like, I want that job. I want to know what, I, what gaps I have. I want to know how long I have to, fi to fill those gaps. And I think we should be constantly asking our leadership for help with that. I also think though, one of my favorite exercises is to do a SWOT analysis. So strengths and weaknesses um, and all that. So 
I like to do it with, um, with my leadership. So I bring a SWOT analysis for myself, like what I think my strengths and weaknesses are for, okay. let's say in this case of a promotion. And I ask my boss to bring one for me. So we oh. now both have, have SWOT analysis on yeah. uh, based off of my skill set. Yeah. And it's a really interesting exercise because I find that so often the areas that I identify as my weaknesses, he's identified as my strengths for that job. Oh, okay. And I think that we're, because I think we're very critical of ourselves. Like we won't really apply for a job or put our hat in the ring unless we're like confident or we're like 90% yeah. confident that we can do it. Right. Whereas yeah. our male counterpart statistically will throw their hat in the ring if they hit 60% of the qualifications. Like, <laughs> and so I think, I think it's important, you know, to, to have an open dialogue um, because, the, and, and, and of course you can, you can evaluate the people that are in those roles today and what makes them successful. Um, but I think more than looking at the people who are in those roles and making them, um, I think it's important to look at the job and look at, okay, what is that job aiming to accomplish? Like, what is that job's goal? And what qualities do I have that will make me successful in achieving that goal? Because you might find you have different qualities than the people currently doing it, but they'll still get you to the same result and possibly a better result. I think you really said it well. We need to ask and communicate what we feel uh, to our leadership. That's, that's mm -hmm. right, because I, I guess a lot of us get stuck here. We don't mm -hmm. ask. We just assume that it will come to us naturally. But it's, I think it's not going to come to us, right? I think we need to ask. Yeah. And you're not always going to get a yes. Like, <laughs> if it was that easy, it'd be great. But, but you have to ask the question. You'll never know if you don't ask. Correct, correct. I think this uh, SWOT analysis is like, uh, another good idea that we should try. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us. You're very welcome. <laughs> All right. So next is about uh, gender equality, which is my favorite part of today's session. Uh, mm -hmm. So many companies are operating on uh, outdated policies and procedures uh, for uh, gender equality practices. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, women in sales, as well as women working in other areas of business, they want to see actual policies that govern the operation uh, mm -hmm. from office culture to promotions to pay gap, etc. So mm -hmm. companies to attract and retain the best saleswomen in both entry level and leadership positions they should examine how their policies reflect issues related to gender equality, right? So my question is, mm -hmm. what policies can be put into place to move toward uh, gender equality? It's a great question. And, and I will say women in tech right now, I, th I think we're seeing this like next generation come into the workforce right. and they're more empowered than their predecessors. They, they're feisty. And I think that they are, they're coming in and they're, they're, they're like, they're, they're, deciding that they can control their future. And I think to what you said was exactly right. They're going to choose companies that they believe are on their side and that are right. going to work really hard to make sure their opportunities are equal to their male counterparts. Right. Now, there are so many ways you can put policies in place. I think that it's important for a company to evaluate what is, what is sustainable at their size. Large companies can put really strict policies in place because they're large and and they have a wide talent pool and a wide employee base. Small companies gets really challenging, but I think there's some really small things that even the smallest of companies can do in order to show that they're really supportive of gender equality and they're doing everything within their power to incorporate more gender balance in their workforce. 
So, so the first thing um, is really what I consider top of the funnel for the company, which is how you hire people. Okay. So the first, the first bit is that so often when you interview for a sales job, and I have, I have no idea when the last time you interviewed was, but right now with so many layoffs occurring across the technology world, there's a lot of salespeople who are interviewing. And I would reckon that over 80% of their interviews are with men. And so if you look internally at your own interview process and you look at that, what we would call an interview loop, okay. is that an equal balance of genders? Or do you have five men on the interview loop? Because if you're a female interviewing and you only speak to five men, it doesn't really put a great taste in your mouth. It doesn't necessarily project the company as very balanced. But what it also does, which I think is even worse, is that you only this person is only evaluated by the male mindset. And these may be really competent and capable males, don't get me wrong, but I think that the female viewpoint and the female evaluation is incredibly important. So the extent at which you can internally, even if it's a peer interviewer or cross-departmental interviewer, we should incorporate a gender balance in our hiring process. Okay. The second piece in top of the funnel, um, and, and I think that that change, that first change is going to lead to a more diverse hiring class because now you have more opinions. You have more diverse opinions yeah. of candidates coming in. And so that's, that's your first change and you'll start to see some, some change there and it's, it's, it can be really quite positive. The second one is it's really sometimes hard for small companies to say, okay, we're only hiring 50-50. Like 50% of our 50% of our hires have to be female, and depending on the role or the or the location of the company, if they're really small, it can be really tasking. And like one, the loss or the delay of hiring one person can lose them quite a bit of money. Yeah. yeah. So that's hard. And so something you can do that's a little bit less drastic, but it, but shows that you're still as committed to gender balance, is talking to your recruitment team and having them commit to having a male and a female candidate make the final round. Okay. You at least get both genders to the final round of interviews. Okay. And, then, and then the best candidate is the one that's hired. Mm. But at least then it pushes your recruitment team to search outside of their ordinary circle. Because often, you know, if you're looking for a certain job, you go to the same chat boards, you go to the same post sites, you do, and sometimes, the really great female candidates aren't on those sites. They might be elsewhere. And so it pushes recruitment teams to think a little bit more creatively. So those are two things at the top of the funnel that companies, no matter what size, can do. Um, during day-to-day -day processes, I, I personally think the easiest thing for any company to do um, is to talk about unconscious bias. There's free trainings online like download a free training and make that an open conversation and make it something so that people and specifically women feel confident and empowered to call it out when they see it. Okay. Because the minute it becomes open and comfortable, and especially when you start getting males calling out other males on it, you, you get an environment that promotes like equality and it's not, and that, that helps not only like gender equality, but that, that promotes diversity and inclusion across all, all races and genders and so on. Right, right, totally true. So uh, let me move on to my next question, which is about work-life balance. Uh, so how do you balance your career, uh, personal life and passions? Uh, is there such a thing as balance? Um, 
I, I, I love, and I hate that question so much. <laughs> um, this idea of like work-life balance, everybody wants it. And, you know, I've, I've certainly struggled with it. Anybody who's ever worked with me will probably say the same. Okay. I'm the, uh, I'm the, the first person who, uh, you know, would raise their hand is guilty of working weekends and late nights and all that, that stuff, you know, working from the couch at home. It's terrible. But I'll say that there's, there's, a, there's one thing that I've, I fought, I fought myself a lot with this um, because it's, there's a, there's a guilt complex that comes with being super passionate about your job and being super, and being super passionate about your, your life and your family. Mm-hmm. And when you're with your family, you feel guilty that you're not getting that one more thing done for work because yeah. you know, your colleagues are relying on you. Yeah. And when you're working late or working during family hours, you're guilt, you feel guilty because you're not with your family or whatever. And I think that we have to be, we have to be first off more forgiving of ourselves. Okay. And I think women, women, the, the pressures that society so consistently puts on women yeah. to have to find this balance yeah. is incredible. Like no one, no one asks men like, exactly. Oh, how do you do it? No, exactly. I mean, it's really hard to find an interview where they ask a man, how do you do it? Because no one expects them to do it all. Right. Um, it's kind of funny, but they expect women. And so I think we have to be more forgiving of ourselves, knowing that no human does it all. But something that I that works for me, and, I, and it's not my idea. I read, it, I read an article, and I'm trying to remember off the top of my head who wrote it. Um, but it was all about focus. Okay. Um, and so basically what, what this article said, and I, I think I read this back in like 2016, and um, you can interview my husband. He will say, I live by this. Um, <laughs> but it's all about focus and being present. So some days I have to work long hours. And some days I just need to be with the family mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Like I just, you know what, something, something happened at home. Like I can't, I can't go to the office. And it's not ideal. But when I make that decision to be home, I'm home. I am not guilty that I didn't go to the office. I am not guilty because I'm going to be 24 hours late on submitting something. I'm home. I've made the decision. So I'm going to own it and I'm going to roll with it. But the same way, if I'm going to work late, I'm not going to be guilty. We've made the decision. I'm going to be working. And I find that what it's done is that while I may not always like how the balance, and sometimes it's more family, sometimes it's more work, when I when I'm there, I get so much more out of it. I work better and I'm also way better to my family because I'm not, I'm not on my phone. You know, I'm, I don't know, maybe you're, maybe you're a phone scroller, but I think all of us, you know, we're having dinner and then you have the phone on the table and you're just like checking the emails like, Oh, I'm not working. It's no more of that. Um, and I think that's something that's helps me personally, uh, to be a little bit more sane. And I think it's, it's helped my family for sure. And I think it's helped my colleagues. I think my work's way better because I'm not, I'm not worried about like, oh gosh, I missed dinner. Nope. Nope. I made the decision to be here. Like family knows I'm here. It's not about dinner. I think, I think I'm with you on this. I, I <laughs> <what> I <laughs> All right. Um, so what tips do you have for women to succeed in business and get on a path to be promoted to leadership positions? Oh, so I think that, um, I think there's a few things. Um, I think that, 
Firstly, I think that we have to be open communicators. Okay. Like we have to ask again, we've talked about this. We need to be super direct yeah. in what it is that we want. And I think that that alone solves so many problems. As long as we don't expect a yes out of the gate. When you, when you openly communicate and you're very direct, you need to be really, you need to be conscious that you are welcoming direct feedback as well, which can be really jolting. There's a great book called Radical Candor that uh, talks a lot about, you've read it? Oh, it's a great book. I I was super fortunate to meet the author at a conference. Um, She's fascinating. Um, But I I highly recommend it to anybody listening to the podcast, but it's it's a great book talking about open, direct, but sincere and empathetic communication. And I think that um, that goes a long way for women, um, especially those in leadership. And I think that we need to be better, we need to be better about openly communicating what it is that we want. Um, as well as taking the direct feedback that's going to come with that. And I think it needs to be like a very open and honest conversation. And then I think, I mean, like I would say to anybody, we need to work really hard. Make it known what you want. Take the feedback on the gaps that you have and work like heck to get that job. And make, it, and make sure that the, your behavior backs up what you've said. You're like, I want this job. What do I need to do? You've now told me what I need to do. And now I'm going to prove to you that I can do it. Okay. Um, and I think that when you, when you do those things in combination with leveraging your relationships, not just your allies and your peers, but leveraging your mentorships and your relationship with leadership, um, I think that that can be wildly impactful because your mentors, especially if they're within your, your existing company or your management, they're a part of decision-making conversations. So if you've made it really well known to them that you want a job, you, you're showing them how hard you're willing to work. And, yeah. they're, and they're, you know, they're out there advocating for you. And I think that that's an okay thing, by the way, to ask. Like, tell them that you want the job. Do work to show that you're willing to make up the gaps. Okay. And ask your manager, will you advocate for me when the question comes up of whether or not I should be promoted? Ask. Okay. You might not get an answer you like, but you should absolutely ask. And I think that asking that question shows that you're also ready for to do a tough job because that's a tough question to ask. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um, all right. So let's wrap it up with just one last question that I have. Um, what advice would you give to women starting their careers in sales? Advice for starting a career in sales. I would say, um, one, you should do it. So don't let anyone tell you that you shouldn't do it. Okay. Um, I would say, I would say that I would ask so many questions. Mm-hmm. I would ask questions. I would be insatiably curious. And I don't mean this just in your deals. Of course, you should be insatiably curious in, in your deals. There's, you know, there's sales through, you know, it's questioning through curiosity, um, which is an incredible sales technique, but you should question everything. And I don't mean to be annoying, but when leadership tells you to do something, it's perfectly acceptable to just ask why. Because asking why can lead to really incredible information and it gives you a deeper understanding of the business. And when you start understanding why you're doing certain things and why the business has made certain decisions or pivoted in a certain way, you can start to think outside the box because now you have the end result. And so while everyone else may have the same motion, you might find out that you have a really unique way of getting to that key value point or that key outcome. And so ask why, and don't be afraid to ask why. I also think, um, 
I would tell women who are considering a career in tech sales that you may not see people that are like you, but don't let that deter you from the job. Being different is powerful and it can lead, it can lead to a really incredible career because I mean, in sales, when we're prospecting, we're always just trying to be different. How do you yeah. break through the chaos and break through the noise? I mean, every, every, every tech company that's selling to sales and marketing has the same message, break through the noise, um, increase pipeline and conversion. So if you're different, you're already one step ahead of the game. And I think it's really important to remember that because you're different, you're powerful and you may make people feel uncomfortable, but don't allow other people's discomfort change the way that you're operating. Got it. I think that was super insightful. Uh, I actually got a ton of insights on uh, women in sales and tech. Uh, I think thanks much for this lovely conversation, Patty. You sure have given us a lot to think about and I'm looking forward to learning more from you. Oh, awesome. Well, hey, I really enjoyed today. Thank you so much. And thank you for staying up late to talk to me. Uh, thank you so much for spending your time with me today, Patty. See you again. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Stay tuned to our weekly upcoming episode with more sales and marketing leaders from around the globe. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and more. Subscribe to get notified when a new episode is out. Also, please leave us a review if you're on Apple. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.